All right, David, a nation after God's heart. This is part six. We're in 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 through 22. And it goes like this. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Admin, the son of David, loved her. Admin was distressed over his sister Tamar that he, he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything with her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Adam said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and I may eat it from her hand. And then Adam lay down and pretended to be ill, and when, king, when the king came to see him, Adam said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat them from her hand. And David said unto Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. As he was lying down, there she took flour, kneaded it, and made cakes in, the sight, in his sight, and, the and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him, he ate. He, when she brought them to them to eat, he, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie, lie with me, my sister. But he answered him, but she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing should not be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools of Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. And then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred which he had for her was greater than the love of which he had for her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called the servants who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. This is one of the saddest events in the Bible. It's the record of the rape of Tamar, one of King David's daughters, and it, took, and it came by the hand of one of King David's sons, a man named Abnon. He's the oldest of David's sons. He's about 21 years of age at this time, and so he's the half-brother of Tamar. Both had the same dads but different moms. And we're told back in verse 1 that Tamar was very lovely, which meant she was attractive. She was beautiful. But the word used for Amnon's attraction to Tamar in, is love. And as you see, this is a word that is used loosely in the passage. It would much be better described as lust. But Amnon thinks it's love for Tamar, yet he has a problem. Because there in verse 2, his problem is he's forbidden under the law of Moses for, 
for him to even be with his sister or brother or half-sister or, or half-brother, whatever the case may be, to even marry or to even be with romantically. And as the words of verse 2 says, it was improper for Amnon to do anything with her. And thus Amnon is distressed over the whole matter. For there's nothing he can do about it, about his lust for her. Obviously, he doesn't like the law of Moses and what is commanding him and what he can't do. Thus his distress has reached a boiling point of making him sick. And this is what can happen. When there is a direct contrast with the flesh and the word of God, it can make a person sick, especially when a person is bent on operating in the flesh. So here's Amnon, like me and you, where God's word and our desire are at odds with each other. He and even we need to say to God, I realize my desire must be wrong because your word is never wrong. And thus, I can, you know, I, I, if Ammon would have done that or we would do that, then we, have a, then we have a trusted, godly friend that will step in the picture and reinforce God's perspective. Well, then no doubt we're going to have victory. But unfortunately for Amnon, he doesn't have a friend in his life to reinforce these things or speak these things to his life. But a friend relative does come to him to tell him to do the exact opposite. This cousin of Amnon named Jonadab, there in verses 3 through 5, has a solution. But Adam needed to hear from Jonadab was a strong rebuke for traveling down the road in the first place. A friend would have warned him. A friend would have gotten right in his face and rebuked him. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And there's a, t there's a time that friends that love them will wound them. Amnon needed to hear a wounding from his friend. He needed to hear his friend say, what are you doing? That's stupid. You have no business even thinking about something like that. Stop it right now. You know, it says in Psalms 1, in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It also says in Proverbs 13, He who walks with wise men will be wise. And listen, it's sad today, but there are John and Dabs around, people that are so-called friends or relatives that we hang out with, and they're always trying to get us to skate around the Word of God, helping you find a loophole in the Bible and God's Word. And many of those might even be people that we go to church with. You know, the thing is that those are the wrong people to associate with when you struggle with your flesh and the Word of God. You know, a Christian brother or sister that we think is our friend, but they don't walk in the counsel of God. They don't meditate on His Word. They help you find loopholes in God's Word. They say it's okay because everybody else is doing it. They say, God will forgive you. You're only human. So the Jonadabs that exist today are like the Jonadabs of old. They possess far too much craft and persuasion. But there in verse 6, David comes to see his son who's in bed sick. It was a habit of David to come to visit his children from time to time, especially if they were sick. And, and of course, David can see that Edmund is nothing but skin and bones. He can see that he had lost weight. You know, basically saying, son, what can I do for you? Dad, I've lost my appetite. Nothing sounds good to me. But if you would just allow Tamar to come and make those special cakes that she makes, it sounds like something I would really love to eat. Please, Dad, have her come and make some of those, those cakes for me. So David summons Tamar to come and cook Ammon some of those cakes. And there's Ammon laying in his bed. And through the opening archway is Tamar with the other servants. And I'm sure she had other people assisting her in cooking too having no idea that what she was walking into that room had no idea what Ammon had on his mind and what Ammon wanted to do with her. She has no idea what's going on in the mind and the heart of Ammon. She only knows he's sick and can't eat, and Dad asked me to come and make some cakes for him to help him get better. And as Paul said in Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. Tamar really has no clue. 
But when she gets close enough to, to the bed to give him his food, Ammon takes, has no desire to eat any cakes. He grabs Tamar, and he forces himself to detain her, holding on to her and not letting go. I mean, there's nothing consensual here. She is powerless in his grip. Then in verse 11, he urges her to lie down with him, but she refuses. Not only does she refuse to, she denounces his sinful intentions. You know, this is disgraceful. It will be a shame to me and my virginity and my opportunity to wed later on. On top of that, it will make you look like one of the fools of Israel. Your futurist king will be completely undone. You'll, be ex you'll expose yourself as a man not worthy to rule. And so she lays out the consequences of this sin one after the other. She's attempting to reason with him to get him to think about this. I mean, she counsels him. Even she goes as far as she says, go to the king and request my hand in marriage. He'll not withhold you from me. Now, she's either ignorant of the law of Moses or she's just trying to get out of this frightening situation. But in verse 14, it says, Amnon refuses her wise counsel and he forces her and he, being stronger, proceeds to rape her. Then Absalom, her full half-brother, finds out about it. He realizes what has happened and his instruction to her was he tells her just to hold her peace, basically saying, I will take care of this. There's no need for the whole nation to know. It's a family affair. We as a family will take care of it. So he assures her again, I will take care of what needs to happen to Amnon. And so she obeys her brother. And when David finds out of what happened, it says here in verse 21, he became very angry. And I believe righteously so, because it was a righteous anger David was expressing. Yet, this anger that David expressed was the totality of all that he did. He has this emotional response when he hears what happened, but there's no record that he disciplines Amnon. Once again, David does nothing. Listen, there's a vital and critical lesson here in these passages for parents, grandparents, future parents. And though David almost universally regarded as one of the greatest kings and leaders, not only in Israel, but in all world history, but he's also widely regarded as a poor parent and a weak father. David was one who failed to provide leadership into his own home to his children. He's considered a poor and weak parent, not only because of this situation, but situation that would follow in how he handles his children in their sin. And I want you to note that David lacks a willingness to take charge of his family. He lacks a willingness to demand obedience from his children. He lacks a willingness to discipline his children when they disobey. And he lacks a willingness for them to pay the price for their lack of obedience. And here's a question. Why a strong leader, a strong king in, this na you know, in, in his nation is not a strong leader or strong parent in his own home? Well, I'm convinced that it had to do something with his sin-filled past with Bathsheba. For how can I discipline Amnon for what he did with Tamar when it's no different than what I had done, basically, with Bathsheba? What right do I have, you know, or moral authority do I have to demand obedience from my children in an area that I myself have failed in? And listen, David's not the last parent to have to go through those kinds of feelings. But here's what's important for us to know. The Word of God is our standard, not our history. The Word of God is the standard that God has given us to raise our children on. Our history is not our standard for right. It's not our standard for disobeying God's Word for our children. We are to lay out to our children what is right and wrong, and when they disobey, we discipline. That's our moral authority that comes from God's Word. It doesn't come from our past. Not only do we have the moral authority from God's Word, but we have the commandments from God's Word to raise our children in that way. It's not a choice to us to say, well, I used to do that when I was a kid. I turned out pretty good. Well, this is what kids do, and I'm one, and my kids are one. Or who am I to say anything when I did it and others have done it also? But here's what the Bible says. 
to train up a child in the ways he is to go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Not to not the way you went or I went or in the way that the world is going. No, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he or she is older, they will not depart from it. Right and wrong is defined by the Word of God. And Paul said it in Ephesians 6, 4. He talked about fathers, don't exasperate your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, in the admonition of God's Word. We're to train our kids from God's Word. The training for our kids always comes from God's Word. And yes, there's discipline that's administered too. As Hebrews 12, 7 tells us, you know, that we are to be, you know, who would not discipline their own children? What father would not discipline their own children? Even our Heavenly Father disciplines His children. So the standard is God's Word, not our past, not our history, not our philosophy. If you have sinned sexually like David and to your children you say nothing, if they sin sexually, you do nothing. You did drugs in the past and now your kids are dabbling in drugs and because of your history you just let it go and you say nothing. Or you had premarital sex and now your children are reaching puberty and thinking about dabbling. Do you give them just a pill or a condom to make sure no accidents happen? Does your history get in the way of God's standard through his word? It doesn't matter how you failed in your past with lying or stealing or reckless driving. Now your children are lying and stealing. Do you do nothing to discipline? It can be in the area of anger. It can be in the area of rebellion. Do you just accept it because you were like that when you were a kid? Listen, what father doesn't discipline his child, the Bible says? God chastens us to every single one of us. Listen, David didn't require of Amnon what God had required of him. David bore his rebuke from God. David confessed his sin before God and man about Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And then David bore the consequences of his sin like a man. David didn't require of Amnon what God had required of him because he was a child of God and God was going to discipline him. David, as a father, needed a discipline too. Are you parenting today with a sin-filled past? Remember, God's word is the standard. We are under God's authority to obey his word, not to obey our past or history. And my encouragement is this, put a guard on your heart so you never let your history get in the way of raising and disciplining your children.